We'll be in Matthew 26 today, Matthew 26, 1 through 16, so turn there in your Bible. If you are new and you didn't bring a Bible, you probably have one in your pocket, just uh, Google Matthew 26, 1 through 16. We'll be looking at the English Standard Version, Matthew 26, 1 through 16. Title today is Plot, and we are turning in the Gospel of Matthew as we've been going all the way through this amazing book of the Bible. Um, We're turning today toward the last three chapters where it's all about the crucifixion of Jesus, his resurrection, and then the Great Commission. So Matthew 26 begins that, and uh, we understand and believe that God's word is holy ground, amen? God's word is holy ground. We think about Moses, the burning bush, holy ground, right? But God's word is holy ground for sure, and if there's a holy of holies within God's word, it's these three chapters and the chapters at the end of every gospel as uh, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is described for us in detail. Uh, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, include this. And all of them have Old Testament arrows that are pointing straight to the cross and resurrection. Uh, from this passage, all of the New Testament echoes would go back to this passage. This is where salvation is purchased. This is where forgiveness is purchased. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, paying our penalty, receiving our punishment for us, that by placing our faith in him, we can be saved. Uh, What an amazing passage we get to uh, look at today and be uh, in for these next weeks. So the, the big idea today as we get going with Matthew 26 is this. While many plotted to kill him, Jesus planned to save many. And we're going to see what human beings are doing to Jesus, the God-man, in this passage and how Jesus sticks with it. We'll see this in multiple passages leading up to his crucifixion, the ultimate expression of that. While many plotted to kill him, Jesus planned to save many. And way back a year and a half ago when we started this series, we saw an angel explain to Joseph that uh, Joseph and Mary were going to have a baby that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, or the, the angel explained this to Joseph and said that Jesus would save his people from their sins. And fast forward all the way to Matthew 26 and 27, and we'll see him doing that very thing. So here he is going to become the means of salvation. So three things I want to show you today from this passage. The first one is that Jesus stayed on mission when plotted against. Jesus stayed on mission when plotted against from verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 and verse 2 say this. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. What a statement. So Jesus had just finished teaching on his second coming. He'd just finished teaching on the last days and now he turns his focus to the cross which is the reason for his first coming. So think about this, right? Matthew 24 is about his second coming. Here, still during his first coming, he is going to go to the cross. And why the cross? Why the cross? So that at his second coming, sinners could be sinners saved. That's what it's all about. 
God has to pay the penalty for the forgiveness of sins and Jesus would do it and Jesus knows he's going to be the judge, he's going to come back and he in the mercy of God is going to offer himself so that human beings like us sinners could be saved. We're gonna see God the Son will die so that we can live. And any of you are here today and you're thinking like, I I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if God is love. And you can see that in these passages that God really loves us. God the Son came to die for us so that we could be saved. So I want you to notice here in these just two verses, two things. One is Jesus is fully aware of his fate and he is calm. Do you notice that? Like if I knew I was gonna be crucified, I wouldn't be calm. If I knew I was gonna be arrested and falsely accused, I, I wouldn't be calm, but he knew it. He was, he was sovereign. He understood everything that was going to happen, and he was calm. Secondly, Jesus knew the when and the who and the how, and he didn't flee. We're going to see so many details that the Son of God knows. He knows who's going to betray him. He knows when he's going to be arrested. He knows all of these details, but y'all, he never fleed. He stayed on mission. I think the majority of us, because we're Uh, Here in our culture, um, we understand generally what crucifixion is. But if you don't know what it is, um, specifically in a line, crucifixion was a maniacal, slow, public, bloody death by suffocation. And God knew that Jesus would be crucified a thousand years before the Romans even invented crucifixion crucifixion, right? We see in Psalm 22 descriptions of a crucifixion death. We see in Isaiah 52 and 53, by his stripes we are healed. We see the man of sorrows suffering for us. So God foreknew all of this would happen. This is his plan, which is stunning to us. So many people ask questions like, how can God punish sinners? Like, how unfair is that? How can God punish sinners? Or, or God, how can you let people go to hell? And these are, these are reasonable, feeling sorts of questions that we have, but we have to consider the answers to those questions honestly from understanding who we are and who God is. And perhaps you felt one of those feelings last week as we see Jesus saying at the final judgment, depart from me, you cursed enter into eternal punishment. The problem with these questions is that they terribly overestimate our goodness and they underestimate God's holiness. The questions, how can God punish sinners and how can you let people go to hell, they terribly overestimate our goodness and they terribly underestimate God's holiness. The more honest question then is, how can holy God justly let sinners into eternal life? That's the more honest question. How can holy God, who is perfect and created everything, how can he, who is holy and just, therefore let sinners into eternal life? He would have to compromise his holiness. He would have to compromise his justice if he were to let us into eternal life because we're sinners and cannot make ourselves perfect ourselves. So that is the big question of the scriptures as we look at the character of God and as we look at our own character. And so the answer to this question, how can holy God justly let sinners into eternal life, The answer is holy God paying the penalty for our sins. Jesus would receive that justice. 
that just sentence, that penalty. He knows it. He knows he'll be delivered up to be crucified. He knows the Passover is coming where he will now be the Passover lamb. And so look at verses three through five. It says, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So this gathering, y'all, was a, was a who's who of the religious elite at the time. This is the chief priests and the elders. This isn't even like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is higher up than them, right? All the people that we've seen Jesus interacting with, that was like the field team. This is now the people who have sent out the Pharisees and the Sadducees to try to trick Jesus. This is the who's who of religious leaders then. They're in the palace of Caiaphas, and their purpose is conniving and calculating in order to kill Jesus. But it was really complicated. Why was it complicated? It's because it's the week of the Passover. We saw last week as, as Jesus is entering, or, or, the, or days prior, several weeks back from, from our, our passages, but uh, we saw millions enter into Jerusalem to be there for this week of Passover. So Jerusalem is packed. Even the outskirts cities are, are, and little towns are packed with people for the Passover feast. And what was that week about? It was a week when the people of God were remembering the angel of death passing over all who spread the blood of a sacrificed lamb over their doorposts. The angel of death passing over their families because of the shed blood of a sacrifice, right? The doorpost of their homes then would represent their lives saying, we identify with God's means of forgiveness for us. And so here we see Jesus who would literally become the sacrificial lamb on the day of atonement, on the day of Passover in Jerusalem about to do it and millions were there. The reason it was tricky for the chief priests and the elders is because everyone loved Jesus or many people did and they didn't want to see him killed and they had to do it privately and they had to do it by stealth. And so, so we'll see actually one of Jesus' disciples help them solve that problem toward the end of our passage today. The means of our salvation would be Jesus sacrificed as the Passover lamb on the cross. So in the midst of this heavy heading that Jesus stayed on mission when plotted against, we have something really beautiful happen. And that's the second paragraph that we have in our passage today. And that's that Jesus was worshiped by someone tuned in from verses six through 13. I want you to consider with me just the change of feel really quickly. We haven't gotten into the text yet, but Jesus is just announced like he is hours away from being crucified. This is heavy. The, the religious elite are literally meeting to figure out how they're going to, to arrest him and then 
kill him. This is a dark moment, but in the midst of that dark moment, Jesus was worshiped by someone who was tuned in. So look at verse six with me. It says, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and and I just want to pause there for a second and have you consider with me this crazy thing. When I I read the Bible, I try to get in the moment. I know that y'all do this too. I'm just thinking like someone had to invite a bunch of people to the house of Simon the leper, all right? All right? Now, for people that didn't know Simon the leper, you're getting that invitation and you're thinking like, um, does he still have leprosy, right? Right? That's the honest question, right? You just imagine how much fun the disciples had with Evites back in the day, right? They're like, they're like hey, we know there's not much room in Jerusalem, All of us who love Jesus, we're going to get together, location, Simon the leper's house, right? And they're like, we just love doing that and posting that just for kicks, right? Right? Like, what had happened? So Simon the leper clearly was someone that Jesus had healed. Obviously, everyone's in his house, right? So, So Jesus had healed him. And I just think it's funny. So many times in the scriptures, people are given nicknames based on who they used to be, like pre-Jesus, right? So for the rest of this guy's life, and honestly, for the rest of eternity, he's named Simon the leper, right? So one day we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be shaking hands, and he's going to be like, hey, I'm Simon the leper, right? And we'll be like, whoa, that's cool, right? Right? So Simon the leper's house amazing, like, just think about this, this man who was literally an outcast back in the day is now hosting dozens and dozens of people in his home. And if you look at Old Testament law, like, no one can come near that guy. You can't even touch his walls as you read Leviticus. And now dozens of disciples are in his house. And so we had a who's who in Caiaphas's palace, a who's who of the religious elite. Now this is a different who's who. This is people like us. These are disciples of Jesus gathered together, right? They're marked by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what us disciples are, right? We're marked by faith in Jesus Christ. It's what makes us different. All of us have experienced 180s of self to savior. 180s of self-righteousness to humility. And this house, Simon the leper's house, is full of people just like that. Just like today is full of people who have experienced 180s, vertical 180s. No mercy, mercy. Not the people of God, now the people of God. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So at this gathering occurred a very different response to Jesus and it was sincere worship. Look at verse 8 or look at verse seven and eight. It says, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he was reclining at table. My wife loves it when I point out that the the definite article is not before table in the gospels for some reason, and it's always at table. So Vanessa, you're welcome. All right, so at table. He's reclining at table. He's like, what? She's always like, why isn't there the? I, I don't know. I should study it. All right. Verse eight, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? All right, so let's focus on verse seven. This woman anoints Jesus with a very expensive ointment. If during lunch today, someone were to pour something on your head, it would either be a prank or it would be insulting, right? Uh, At the end of football games, after a football win, the players would douse the coach with whatever remains from the Gatorade cooler. 
What we have here in verse 7 is neither an insult nor a prank nor celebration. What we have here was worship. This woman anointed Jesus' head with very expensive anointing oil called spikenard. And spikenard was imported from India and it was used, get this y'all, it was used to anoint the dead for burial. She was tuned in. She was a disciple who was tuned in. She was listening to Jesus. She had heard what he was going to do. She'd been listening to him. She'd been following him. She's tuned in. Jesus, within a matter of hours, during his arrest, during his trial, during his crucifixion, was about to become one of the least of these that he just described about persecuted Christians in the previous passage. He said, for us to serve the least of these, to serve those who are persecuted for their faith because they're a part of the body. Now Jesus is about to be one of the least of these described in the previous passage. Remember, Jesus describes them in six ways. He said, the least of these are those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are estranged, those who are naked, those who are sick, and those who are incarcerated. Jesus is about to be six for six in the coming hours. And this woman is tuned in to this. And she chose to worship Jesus with the best of what she had. Here's what she did. She took the opportunity and she took her talent and she combined those two things into worship. She took the opportunity and she took her talent and she combined them into worship. And I think this is amazing, right? As we think about this and we just look at Je- looked at Jesus teaching about the talents and we, want, we talked about what that, those are, right? It's the gospel, it's your spiritual gifts, it's the things that God has given you that are on loan from him for his glory. And so the disciples in this moment, right? There's weeks between the Sundays when we look at these passages, but for them, it may be hours between the time he just talked about the talents and this moment. So this woman is thinking, I have spikenard. It is the most expensive thing I have. It is literally my life savings. And I have Jesus in front of me. And what an opportunity. And she took her talent, paired it with the opportunity, and y'all, she worshiped Jesus with it. And it massively comforted the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She didn't calculate the cost. She didn't concern herself with what the comments would be. And you'd think that everyone in that room uh, of these disciples would have joined in, right? But they didn't. Verse 8 says, And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Y'all ever overthink things? You're like, oh man, that person's worshiping, but they could worship in a better way, right? exactly what was happening here. From a, from a financial and a ministry standpoint, the disciples were right. Could it have gone to the poor? Yes. Could it have gone to the poor? Yes. But was it wasteful? No. It was spot on. It was spot on. And they realized that in the moment when Jesus responds. So how did Jesus respond? You know, sometimes we're like, we're like, okay, um, how are disciples responding? What do Christians think about this? And, and like in this passage, we would get bad data from that, right? 
And so it's always better to be like, you know, what would Jesus think, right? There's the, the bracelets, like what would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? And in this passage, he literally tells us what he thinks about this woman's worship from verses 10 through 13. It says, but Jesus, and I just love that word but there. It's like it interrupts the moment, like a hush crumbs over the crowd, right? But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, she has done it. uh, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we know how the disciples responded, but how how did Jesus respond? Well, he called it, beautiful. He called it an act of worship. That is so informative for us. What made it beautiful? What an adjective, right? What she did was beautiful. So just think with me, like, just devotionally, as I'm reading this this week, I'm I'm like, why would Jesus call it beautiful? And so, what are, what are your answers to that question? Why would Jesus call this beautiful? And, and I just jot, I jotted down a few. Like one is, one is the timing of it. It's, it's just astoundingly perfect. The timing of it's beautiful. Her heart is beautiful, right? Like Jesus sees the heart. He sees all the intent of our minds, our hearts, our wills. He knows our souls. And he knew all of that about her and he called it beautiful. This wasn't motive to try to be impressive. This wasn't trying to be the the top dog worshiper, right? She was sincere. She was genuine. He called it beautiful, right? Then of course, the extravagance of it. She gave her best thing in worship of Jesus Christ in this moment, that she had opportunity. And then what's beautiful is she did the thing that Jesus had just taught. She's literally applying the opportunity plus talent to worship. And I just wonder if the disciples are like, oh, right? Or if they're like, oh, we were wrong and she got it right. So good job. But deep down they feel instructed but corrected. I love in verse 13 that Jesus said that this would travel with the gospel forever, right? Jesus knows in this moment that the Holy Spirit is going to inspire Matthew to include this story with the gospel everywhere it goes. It's going to be written down so every Christian can read this and study it and we can learn from it today. This story, her act of worship goes with the gospel. It goes with the cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So several things to just extract from this and apply to our lives. First, faithful worship to God is important, right? Faithful worship to God is important, like like worshiping Jesus together and learning under his word. I'm talking about like the routine, faithful worship of God. The things that we do every week, every day, those things are so important. Jesus isn't diminishing those at all because this is unique, right? What are examples of that? Worshiping Jesus together, learning under his word, fellowship, prayer, communion, giving, serving, outreach, the list goes on. Those are important and they should increasingly define our lives and describe the way that we're living as disciples of Jesus. But there are unique occasions when you, like individually you and and individually me, there are unique 
occasions when we can pair specific opportunity that we have in front of us with specific talent that God has given to us on loan from him, and then we can give tuned-in worship to Jesus as a result. And so the question is, like, do you have eyes to see that? Are you taking stock of what opportunities the Lord has given you? Are you taking stock of what your talents are so that you can see opportunities to combine those things for worship for Jesus so that the talent doesn't stay on the shelf, so that the opportunity doesn't, doesn't just stay there, but you can combine those things for the worship of Jesus Christ. I just love that she's being vigilant and diligent in this passage. Another observation here is that the previous paragraph was really dark, right? That paragraph is about the religious elite of that day getting together to um, make a plan to arrest Jesus and to crucify him. That's really dark. Jesus, the son of God, is gonna be crucified. It doesn't get darker than that. Previous paragraph really dark. The next paragraph is going to be really difficult, but sandwiched between the dark and the difficult is this act of worship from this woman that comforted Jesus. And y'all, when you are sandwiched between dark and difficult, the God of all comfort drops in grace all the time. Y'all know those moments when you're like, man, life's hard. And, uh, and then that's common for all of us. Life's hard. And it's like, life's hard, right? Just generally. And then there's moments where like life's dark and it's right here. It's like as soon as you turn your head, it's dark, right? It's right up against you. And then you're like, okay, I got to turn away from it. But you turn and like right there is difficult. You're like, this is dark. And then you're like, I'm going to run to easy. And then you're like, there's no easy. It's different. And you're just totally stuck. And it feels like the walls are closing in on you. It's exactly what's happening to Jesus. What he's feeling in the betrayal that's about to come from Judas and what he's feeling in the darkness that's being planned against him. He's feeling that and he is stuck between it. And what does God do? He drops in grace. The God of all comfort drops in comfort. And y'all, the older I get in my faith in Jesus Christ, the more I'm learning when life is difficult, because we can't escape it. All of us are trying to create some sort of silly, impossible life without darkness and difficulty, life without hard things, right? It's just impossible. Rather than trying to remove those things, we can just see what God is doing in the midst of it because sometimes God doesn't want to or need to remove you from between dark and difficult because you're on mission for him. And part of that mission is dark and difficult in facing those, but God is with you in it. I think there's a strength to this that we can learn from. And then there's, there's a receiving daily bread from the Lord so that we can advance his purposes that we see here in this passage. Do you have the ability and the awareness and the maturity in Christ to recognize that when you are between darkness and difficulty, God is dropping in comfort? Y'all, I see, it's, it happens to me. I'm like, this is hard. And I turn, I'm like, that's dark, that's difficult. And then, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the, the person that texted me today. Thank you for that conversation. Thank you for that laugh. Thank you for that scripture that you had lined up for me in my reading this morning. Thank you for, and, and you just see God dropping in that grace. So, so see it. Do you have eyes to see the daily bread of God's comfort and mercy and to stay on mission? Y'all, God is good all the time. He is. And, uh, you know, Christians are like, God is good. And then we reply, all the time. And then I would say, all the time. And you're like, God is good. But do you believe that? 
that all the time God is good, even when you're stuck between dark and darkness and difficulty. He is good all the time. So with that, with that act of worship, we go back to the plot to kill Jesus, already terrible, and now add to that plot betrayal from one of his disciples. Point three today is this. Jesus stayed on mission even when betrayed. Jesus stayed on mission even when betrayed. 14 through 16 say, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, hey, what, will you, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. We know from John 12, 6, that Judas had an eye for financial gain. Literally, the disciples were aware that Jesus, or I'm sorry, that Judas was a thief who helped himself to the money bag. That's, that's John 12, 6. He was a thief who helped himself to the money bag. So they know this about him, and with that eye for financial gain, he saw the pickle that the chief priests and the elders were in. Since Jerusalem was so packed and the people so loved Jesus, the chief priests needed an informant of Jesus' location at a non-public time in order to arrest him. So Jesus made them an offer, and they gladly paid him 30 pieces of silver. One of the 12 that Jesus had called who'd done ministry with Jesus, who had seen people saved, who'd seen people healed, who had been sent out by Jesus, betrays him in a moment. And y'all, betrayal is hard. Being sinned against is one thing, but being betrayed has a whole different relational level of difficulty, isn't it? Being betrayed. And Jesus would be significantly betrayed by Judas. Jesus said to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. But what Judas is going to do instead is he's going to think, I can make money off of you. We sang earlier today, it was our second song, uh, Before the Throne of God Above. And that song is based on Hebrews 4.15 that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. We sing his name is love, right? And that passage is about our great high priest who has been tempted as we are, but was without sin. And then as Hebrews goes on, we recognize that we can go to his throne, the throne of grace, because, and we can receive help in a time of need because Jesus has felt the things that we feel and he has endured and he has stayed on mission despite feeling those things that we feel. So when you feel betrayed in this life, Jesus has felt that and he can minister to you. When you feel betrayed, or honestly any other emotion, Jesus has felt that and he can minister to you. And when you need to stay on mission, Jesus has done that and he can minister to you. When you are between hardship and no answer, hardship and despair, or darkness and difficulty, Jesus has felt that and he has stayed on mission and he can help you stay on mission too. 
The focus of Jesus Christ in these passages is so amazing. It just speaks so much to his love for us. The purpose of his mission is us. It's us saved. It's actually this moment right now where he is being worshiped and people are saved unto him and forgiven and headed to heaven. It was the mission of what he was doing to save sinners so that we could be sinners saved by placing our faith in him. So, if you're here today or you're watching today and you don't have saving faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you that he paid the penalty that you deserve on the cross. And by placing your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be saved. He will save you, heaven will be yours, and then you can walk with him the rest of your days. Just like these disciples are learning to do, just like we disciples are learning to do. Forgiveness can be yours and you can be confident, not because of your ability, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And so I'd encourage you today, if you're here and you're like, I'm not saved, I don't know Jesus, or maybe I think I do, but I'm not sure enough and this seems like something I should be pretty sure about, then I would encourage you today to confess your sin and believe on Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness. So as we... As we close today, I, I, wanna, I want us to recognize the holy ground that we're in in these next few weeks together as a church. We're aiming that crucifixion is Good Friday service, and then we're aiming, Lord willing, that resurrection is Easter Sunday. Um, that's where we're going to be over these next, uh, these next months together. And so as we... As we close tonight and we recognize the holy ground that we're on, I I want us all to see and feel again that while many plotted against him, Jesus planned to save many. He stayed on mission when he was plotted against. He was worshiped by someone who was tuned in and he stayed on mission even when betrayed. So here's some reflection prayers. I just want to give you Um, One that's not on the screen for sure. We already talked about it. If you're here and you're not saved by grace through faith in Jesus, place your faith in him today above all other things that you're thinking about. All right, for us who are here and who are believers in Jesus Christ, here's some reflection thoughts today and we're gonna take communion at the end of this. The first one is, Lord, thank you for considering it all joy to give your life so that I can be forgiven my sins and be a sinner saved. Like, have you thanked the Lord for that recently? And even if you did this morning, just let's do it again, right? Second one is, how, Jesus, can I worship you right now, tomorrow, and this week? I want you to think about your talents and I want you to think about your opportunities and I want you to put those together to worship the Lord while we're in this world. And then the third one is, Lord, give me a boldness to remain faithful and not betray you. I read this thing of Judas, and I'm I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do that. I pray that's the same for y'all. Lord, we don't want to betray you. We know we're sinners. We know we're going to walk away if you bring us right back. But Lord, give us a boldness that that we wouldn't. So, y'all, our world is so busy and so noisy all the time. There's constantly things in our head. This is a moment for just you and the Lord. Just pray. Pray these things. And then I'll lead us in communion just a moment.
for us to consider that the only way for holy God to justly allow us into eternity with him, which he desires, holy God has to die to pay our penalty. A perfect lamb had to be sacrificed, a perfect human. And that's why Jesus came. That is the reason for his first coming. And in the very next passage that Tim is going to preach next week, Jesus has the Passover meal with the disciples and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he takes bread and he holds it in front of his disciples and he said, this bread represents my body, which is sacrificed for you. Y'all just imagine that the Son of God says that to human beings. Sacrifice for you. And then he took wine and he said, this represents the blood of a new covenant. His blood, that would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to see Jesus' focus on his mission throughout all of these chapters, all of these passages. And I just want us to realize today that our, our hope is in him, our confidence is in him not in ourselves, not in our ability, not in our performance, but in his performance, what he has done for us on the cross, right? So, body of Christ for us, sacrifice for us. And the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins.